We are in our series on the book of Colossians, and before we get into that this morning, I have an illustration to start with, and I know it's going to resonate with somebody. How many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? A good deal of you. Some of you have missed out, and that is okay. So there's a scene in Finding Nemo where Marlon and Dory are swimming around. They're trying to find Nemo, and uh, they're lost. And so Dory wants to ask for directions. Marlon is a man's man. He doesn't want to ask for directions. But they go ahead anyway, and they're talking to a school of fish who's telling them where to go. And at the end, you'll remember, the school of fish they kind of just spoke as one voice or whatever. At the end, they said, oh, by the way, when you get to a trench, swim, not. Swim through it, not over it. Swim through it, not over it. And then, of course, as time unfolds, they get to this trench, and Dory starts to swim through it like she was told, but Marlon says, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We've got to go over the trench. And even though Dory had clear instruction and knew exactly what she was supposed to do and even started to go that way, she allowed herself to be convinced that going over was the best plan. And I won't spoil the rest of it for you who haven't seen the movie, but it didn't go exceedingly well for them. Uh, so with that, like I said, we're in the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going through this whole book verse by verse. And if you have your Bible today, your phone Bible counts, turn to Colossians 2 verse 6. Colossians 2.6. While you're finding that, uh, I will just tell you, this is where the book of Colossians starts to take a turn from kind of more theological to more practical. And the last five weeks, we've been really hammering away kind of on the theological. Who is Jesus? He is Lord. He has a will. He's our reconciler. whole bunch of stuff about him. Um, that he, the, the mystery of Christ is that Jesus lives in us uh, as believers. And today, like I say, we're going to start to swing a little bit to the practical. And this is something that Paul, Paul wrote Colossians, this is something that he does quite a bit in his letters. He starts with the theological, and then he moves into the practical. And he does this because the theology is supposed to inform the practice. It, it, it's not enough to have the theology and not the practice. It's not complete vice versa to have the practice but no theology or poor theology. So we need them both. And what you believe about Jesus is supposed to work itself out practically in your life. It's not just a head thing. Our faith is not a theoretical one. It's a largely practical one. And so today the section of scripture win is all about, uh, I, I'm calling it staying strong while staying the course. What I mean by that is that this life, true or false, is sometimes difficult. What was that? I can't hear you. True, resounding true. Yes, this life is sometimes difficult and we go through struggles and sometimes there are uh, events or things that happen that uh, try to kind of shake us in our faith and if we're not careful, we can just kind of be doing this and being unsteady in our faith. But God doesn't want that for us as believers. Uh, he doesn't want us to just kind of limp through our days and limp through our life and limp to the finish line. He, he has made it possible for us who are in Christ uh, to live our lives uh, steadfastly and strongly in him. Uh, and he, he gives us confidence to be in his will, right? And, to, and he strengthens us in that, to stay, the, stay strong while staying the course. And as believers, like I'm saying, we have everything that we need to be able to do this because God's spirit lives in us. But sometimes we allow ourselves or we convince ourselves or we get convinced that a different way is better 
or a different path is better, or whatever. We're kind of like Marlon and Dory, right? Even though we have heard better and we know better and we know what we should do, sometimes we don't seek the Lord. Sometimes we don't follow him. Sometimes we don't trust him. And over time, we kind of veer off this way. And sometimes that is gradual and you might not even notice. It's kind of like you were walking with him, but then you started to drift got a little complacent, indifferent, maybe you stray altogether. And this section of the text is going to talk about this kind of thing. It's not about just coming to Christ. That's not what only our faith is about, but it's about continuing in Christ as well. So with that, we are going to read the Bible. Let's go to Colossians 2.6. We'll read verses 6 and 7. And we're talking about continuing to walk in Christ. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So verse 6 starts out with, uh, what's the first word there? Therefore. And you guys have been hanging around long enough to know that's one of my favorite words in the Bible. When you see a therefore, what you have to do is, understand that what's about to be said is said in light of what has just been said. That was a really confusing way to say that, but my point is we got to go backwards before we can go forwards. So what was just before this in Colossians 2, 1 through 5, sidebar, shameless plug, Jim Edel spoke on this last week. He did a tremendous job, and if you didn't watch it or listen to it, you need to do that because it was awesome. And you don't have to pay me, Jim. That's okay. Seriously, though. So in Colossians 2, 1 to 5, that was just before this, Paul was talking about how God wants us to come to full assurance of the mystery of Christ, which is Christ in us. And Paul says, I'm longing to rejoice in the firmness of your faith, the people he was writing to. So therefore, because of that, this verse says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So when we talk about receiving Christ Jesus the Lord, that goes right back to the foundations of our faith. Hey, God created you. God loves you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. God wants a relationship with you. But instead of us walking with God, we have walked away from God. We have turned our backs on God, and we have rebelled and sinned against him. And that sin, as you know, separates us from God. Uh, there is no relationship there in and of our own strength and stock because we've walked away from him. But God says, I don't want that to be the final word for you. So he sends Jesus his son. Jesus dies on a cross in our place for our sins and he rises from the grave. So he shows in doing that, hey, sin doesn't have the final word, but God has the final word. And now those of us who trust in Jesus, we accept his sacrifice, we believe in what he has done and we repent of our sins, we are saved. We come into relationship with God and we can live the life that we were born and created to live. Is anybody thankful for that today? Yes, good. That was a test and you passed. So it says, as you have received Christ, he's talking to believers, as you have received Christ, walk in him. So to walk in him, to walk with Jesus is to be in relationship with him, like I just talked about. It's to seek him, to put him first, to worship him, to serve him, to grow in him, to love him, to follow him with your whole life. That's what walking in him means. Remember, like I said, it's not just about being saved and then you're done. Getting saved is only the beginning. And this continues in verse 7, uh, describes it. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's what we're going to do. This is, a, this is an exercise for all of us, mental exercise. I want you to picture a tree. Go there in your mind. Picture a tree, a nice big tree. 
and I don't care what kind of tree it is. You could have a maple tree or a, a birch tree or a pine tree or a palm tree. That's what I'm going to do. Or somebody might have a Christmas tree, Lori Jones. <laughs> Whatever tree you got, that's good. Um, that nice big tree starts somewhere, right? It starts at the roots. And generally the way it works is for a tree to grow tall, it's got to have a deep uh, and, and strong root network. Well, as Christians, we are supposed to grow, kind of like a tree. Uh, God wants us to develop into deeper Christ-likeness for our whole lives. And in order to do this, in order for us to stay strong while staying the course, like I said, our roots need to go deep. Somebody say, our roots need to go deep. So this means growing continually in deeper knowledge and experience of God. This means growing in deeper knowledge and experience of his character and his love and what he's like and what he's done. This means uh, growing uh, deeper into his promises and his peace and the joy that he brings. Uh, this is trusting him, worshiping him, following him, and all of this is happening ongoing and increasing. And what I want to say is, I don't want you to overlook the seemingly, watch my hands, little things, the simple things that play into this. I don't want you to overlook how even making seemingly little deposits into your relationship with Jesus, that adds up over time. It's not just, I'll take the check for a million dollars and put it in once, it's I'm depositing regularly, day by day, ongoing, and that adds up. That's how our roots go deep. So from the roots, the tree, like it says in our text, it says it, uh, that we're built up. Somebody say built up. As our roots grow deeper, as we come to know Jesus more and more, as we come to follow him more and more, we are built up. We grow. That's what this is saying. It's just naturally what happens. So if someone, or maybe it's yourself, is not growing progressively, like, like ongoing, continually, chronically, that is an indicator that, hey, maybe your roots aren't deepening, right? And I've heard it said this way. Don't rely on yesterday's faith or yesterday's experience to carry you through to tomorrow. That doesn't mean that looking back is bad. Sometimes looking back in our life and, and walk of faith is really good. We remember what God has done, uh, got you through a particular season. That can really fire us up, amen? But it's not only about looking back. We can't only live in the past, right? It can't just be, hey, you know, I met Jesus in 2004 and I had a really awesome encounter with his grace and that really fired me up and I was an awesome, awesome Christian then and uh, that's basically it. Well, that's incomplete. That's great that you had that experience, but how are you deepening your roots right now? What are you doing to follow and seek and serve and trust the Lord Jesus right now, today? Uh, how are you being built up in him right now, today? That's the questions we gotta ask ourselves. And so continuing, what happens is that when a tree is rooted and built up, it becomes established. Somebody say established. Yes. An established tree is a tree that is strong. It's a tree that is firmly fixed in place. It's a tree that is able to flourish. So whatever kind of tree you're picturing, when it's established, it's bearing fruit. Uh, it doesn't fall over when the wind blows. Uh, I was just, this is not part of the thing. I was just remembering Lori's parents just planted trees in their yard and the dog has dug them up because they were saplings. Those are not established. 
Um, an established tree lasts for a long, long time. And listen to this, an established tree has an impact on what's around it. What I mean by that is it does the whole oxygen CO2 thing. I'm not a science guy, but they tell me that's how it works. Uh, it gives shade. Uh, the birds can nest in its branches. You can climb it. Maybe you put a tire swing out, whatever. The same is true for us, my friends. As we become established in Christ, established in our faith, we become strong. We are able to flourish. We don't get toppled over when bad circumstances hit us. And like I said, we make an impact on those around us, on our surroundings. We, because we're established and because we're living in Christ, it just naturally exudes from us and the people around us are affected in, in a positive and a godly and in a beneficial way. That's what it's like to be established. So I would ask you, don't answer this out loud, but are you established in Christ today? Are your roots deepening? Are you being built up in him? Are you seeking him? Are you established today? If we continue in our text, one part of the fruit that you see from a life that is established in Christ, still in verse seven, it says, uh, it causes us to abound in thanksgiving. So in other words, that's a natural byproduct of when we get closer to Christ. That's just what wells up inside of us. So I would ask you again, don't answer this out loud, but are you abounding in thanksgiving in your life? You say, my life's not very good. It doesn't specify there. It just says, if you're in Christ, whether your life is good or bad, thanksgiving will be present. And if not, well, I'll say if you are, that's awesome. That's awesome. That could be a sign that you're on the right track and keep doing that. If you are not uh, abounding in thanksgiving, that could be a sign that you're not established. You're not being built up. You're not uh, growing in your rootedness in Christ. Uh, and and obviously that's the trajectory that we're supposed to take. That's what God wants for us, to be firmly established in the faith, to be welling up with thanksgiving. And the way that happens, if you look at verse six again, it says it's by walking in Christ. It's that relationship. It's the day by day doing life with Jesus. So here's what I would ask you. Who are you walking with? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you walking with the crowd? Are you walking with the wrong crowd? Are you walking by yourself? Who are you walking with? Who is leading you? Are you leading you? I've been there, I think we all have, doesn't usually go that well. Uh, are your feelings or your emotions leading you? Also not a great situation. Is the culture leading you or the media or social media, the news? Who is leading you? Who are you walking with today? Your life is a walk, my friends. I don't care who you are or what's going on, your life is a walk, it's a journey. And to do yourself a favor, make sure you know who you're walking with. Don't just assume you're walking with Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to throw it onto autopilot and then you realize, oh, he's over here and I've gone this way. Don't just assume that you're walking with him. You might only think that you are. Maybe, maybe if you're here or you're watching or listening to this later, like maybe you're in a place where you were walking with him. Like I say, you've switched on the autopilot, but now you've done this, you've gone this way. Um, maybe you got distracted. Maybe COVID happened and it threw you for a loop. I don't know. And this could happen. We're gonna see this in the next part of our text, but God's heart for us, my friends, listen, is not that we would flounder in our faith, but flourish. 
God's heart for us is that we wouldn't struggle through life, but that we would be strengthened in him. God's heart is that we would be able to stay strong while we're staying the course. And the way we do that is by sticking close to Jesus. It's by walking with him each and every day. And if you hear that and you think that doesn't sound like the most glamorous thing you ever heard, it's super key and it's super important. Uh, making those, like I said, those little deposits into your relationship, into your account, they make all the difference. Like, uh, this is just coming to my mind right now. So I don't know where this will go, but if you set out on a journey to, for instance, improve your health or lose weight or whatever, that doesn't happen just when you snap your fingers. There, it's done. I went to the gym once. I ran for, you know, 30 minutes, and now I'm amazing. My health will be perfect. You guys know that's not how it works, Right? It's the continual, it's, doing, it's making the right choices, doing the right things repeatedly ongoing. That's what we're talking about here. So continue walking in Christ. That's one way we stay strong while staying the course of this life. The second one, and we'll continue in our text, is to not be taken captive. So verse eight in Colossians two, it's on the screen there. It says, see to it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So what I want to point out first of all is when you see those words there, takes you captive on the top line there, there's a Greek word for that phrase, and it's, it's called, it's sulagogeo. Sulagogeo, somebody help me. Greek scholars right here. Sulagogeo, and that word is often used in the context of when cargo is plundered from a ship. That's, that's kind of the mental picture that's associated with that word. And so you guys know what that's like, right? You're sailing on a ship, things are going well, the, the wind is high, uh, and it's in the sails and everything's going great, and then all of a sudden another boat shows up, and they come alongside you, and they lower the guns, and they fire them at you, and they ram into you, and they go Pirates of the Caribbean style on you, and then they overtake you and capture you. And then they get onto your boat, and they take all the good stuff off your boat, and they take it onto their boat. Sometimes they may, like, torch you on the way out, but that's beside the point. But it's a bummer, right? Like, that would make you mad. Well, that's what's happening. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, see to it that no one takes you captive... No one plunders your cargo by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, it's believed here that Paul is not talking about philosophy in general, though I took a couple philosophy courses in university and didn't like it, so when I saw this a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, yes, that's not what it means. I, I dealt with it anyway. It's believed that Paul was speaking out against a specific philosophy that was going on uh, in this church in Colossae. And that philosophy that he uh, that, uh, is speaking about is that there was a problem. It was believed there was a problem of false teaching in this church. And it was seeping in and it was causing some damage. And I'll way understate by saying that false teaching is really bad, it's really dangerous, and it can cause a lot of uh, damage. It causes people to go astray. It causes division in the church. It causes people to be carried off and, and taken away and taken captive. And we're gonna talk more next week, not here in person, but we'll be talking about uh, more about what that specific false teaching may have been in this church. But you can see right here, it has to do with uh, empty deceit according to human tradition. And it says about elemental spirits of, excuse me, of the world. This is likely a, a reference to demonic influence. Uh, and that's ultimately what a lot of false teaching is. It's something that is packaged to look really good 
uh, maybe even totally in line with scripture, but when you dig into it a little bit, you realize, oh, this is actually not scriptural, this is actually not in line with the character of God, and it's really dangerous. Well, that stuff often originates from Satan. That's what he does. And this, this, Paul is saying here, remember all that you are, all that you have in Christ. Remember we just read about being built up and established and rooted. Remember all that you have and don't settle. Don't just believe everything you hear. Why would you toss away and toss aside what you do have for some other thing that comes along? Don't let anybody plunder your cargo is what he's saying. Because ultimately that's what Satan tries to do, right? Satan tries to fool us. He sees that in Christ, we have all sorts of good things. We have all sorts of benefits and blessings and promises. And Satan hates that. And he wants to ruin that. He's fixing to come in and mess all that up. And he comes at us with all sorts of tricks and traps. And his goal, make no mistake, make no mistake about this. His goal is to walk off with your goods. It says, I think it's John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those things aren't good, obviously. So Satan comes along and he wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy that you have in Christ. He wants to steal your confidence in Christ. He actually wants to steal uh, your confidence even in your salvation, to take that away from you. He wants to distract your heart. He wants to help you make a shipwreck of your faith. That's what he's up to. And if he can do, for instance, plant false teaching in the church or on the internet, or whatever, and get you to consume it, he will. He will do that, and he has all through history. If he can get you distracted by whatever, popular culture, or COVID, or whatever's going on in the world, he will do that. If he can get you more fired up for a certain cause than you are for Christ, he will. And it's deceptive, and it's a little greasy, because you think, oh, this is something really good, but if it takes your mind off of Christ, that's, that's uh, on par with being taken captive. So in all things, our mandate, friends, is to put Jesus first and to walk with him. We can't afford to allow other voices or other forces or other opinions or influences to come along and take the place of Christ in our lives. He is in the number one seat and his voice is the most important. And what he says is the most important. That's it. That's the end of discussion. Furthermore, we're told in Scripture to, it says to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. You ever hear that verse? Test the spirits. That means that when you are confronted with a teaching, for instance, that sounds wonky, if you are uh, in a situation where you're being pressured to like just follow the crowd, or when we're being told you have to behave or believe a certain way, or here's what everyone's doing and you should do it too, don't just blindly walk along with that. Test the spirits. Is this from God? And you can do this from a number of sources. You can pick up God's word and read it. What does God say about that situation you're in? You can pray and seek the Lord's heart in that. God, speak to me and show me what your will is here. You can seek wise counsel from other believers. What a benefit that is to have people in your life who are more seasoned believers than you and who are wise, and they can point you in the right direction. We can't afford, my point is this, we can't afford to be lackadaisical. We can't afford to just shrug our shoulders and roll with whatever comes our way because otherwise we are likely to be taken captive. You might be led astray. You might be risking getting thrown off the path of faithfulness and flourishing in Christ. And you might be eating, honestly, right out of Satan's hand. And God obviously doesn't want that for you. God wants you 
to flourish. God wants you to be strong in him. And so no matter what, listen, no matter what society says, no matter what policies they enact, no matter what everyone else is doing, no matter how good it might seem, our mandate is to stay faithful to Christ. And we can do that when we fix our eyes on him, when we walk with him humbly day by day, we can stay strong while staying the course and not be led captive. So that's that one. The third one we want to talk about is remember the sufficiency of Christ. That helps us stay strong. We're going to read verses 9 to 12 of our text. First of all, I want you to take a deep breath in and out. Do that for me. Two of you did it. rest of you, come on. Come on. I'm not going to stop till you do it. Okay, good job. Okay, Colossians 2, 9 uh, through 12. For in him the whole fullness, this is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That is a great section of scripture. So this business of being taken captive and focusing on other voices or influence or sources or chasing after fantasies or other gods or idols or whatever is foolishness is what Paul is telling us. Because the truth is, friends, that Jesus is sufficient. Say that. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is more than enough. And while, yes, it's beneficial, for instance, to be informed about what's going on in the world, obviously, um, the truth is that Jesus is what we need and he's all we need. So when we remember that he's sufficient for us, we draw strength from that. We don't have to look anywhere else. If you look in verse 9, it talks about, for him, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Paul is going just back to the theological for a minute. That is a massively packed statement in Colossians 2.9. In Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The entire essence of God is there. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Being fully man, we can identify with him and relate to him and understand him better. But being fully God, we hold him up as such. We worship him. We praise him. We seek him. We honor him. We want to see him lifted high. He is God. And we don't need to look anywhere else for an experience of God. It's fully, God is fully seen and fully experienced in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know kind of more about this sort of thing, we did a, a little bit more in the third message of this series. You can go back and listen to that uh, later on. So verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Yes, he's talking to you if you are a believer. In other words, the very essence, when we come to Christ, the very essence that fills us, the very stuff we are now composed of, the very life that we receive and the very breath that we draw is Christ. He is our source of hope and strength and identity and fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose. There is no need to look elsewhere. It's one-stop shopping all under one roof. It's like Costco, but way better. 
We've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So it's not only that, you know, Jesus is God, fully God and fully man and we've been filled in him. He is the head of all rule and authority. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator God. He is the ruler of the ends of the earth. He is the one who is sitting on a throne. He is the one to whom our hearts should be praising and worshiping. He is the ultimate supreme authority. Can you tell that this is a big deal to me? This implies if he's the head of all rule and authority, he is the one that we should be centering ourselves on. He is the one our lives should revolve around. His should be the final say in our lives. And what he says goes. And though there are many people who would disagree in the world, we believe that there is not some higher court or higher authority than the Lord Jesus. And what he speaks, that's it. No one can come along and say, actually, he was wrong. This is how it's going to be. Jesus has the final say. I have in my notes, he's the top dog. <laughs> Somebody maybe needs to hear that, I don't know. Verse 11, in him, so we're gonna look here actually at a couple ways that, that show that he is central, a couple identifying markers that we have with him. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision is exactly what we all wanna talk about, amen? Uh, if you, for some reason, don't know what that is, you can ask somebody later. Um, <laughs> circumcision, uh, as far as it pertains to Scripture, it's a very old practice. It goes way back to the Old Testament, and uh, it's part of the Old Covenant, as we say, that God had with Abraham and uh, after him, the nation of Israel. And in a nutshell, the covenant, the arrangement, the agreement was this. God would be their God, and they would be his people. And and one of the markers or symbols of this covenant was the circumcision of males when they were eight days old. And basically what you need to know is it was a symbolic thing. Uh, being circumcised as, as, per, as someone who belonged to the nation of Israel, you're basically showing that you identified with God, you belonged to him, and you belonged to his people. Now, for those of us, which is all of us, who exist in a post-Jesus dying and rising kind of world, uh, the need for literal circumcision is no more. Instead, like this verse tells us, we experience a different kind. Of, it's a circumcision of the heart. It's the cutting away of our old flesh. It's dying to self. It's living for Christ. That's the circumcision this verse is talking about. It means that when you trust and follow Jesus, he, this is so cool, he changes your heart. Isn't that awesome? You guys know what I'm talking about? He changes your heart. He, he starts to cut away all the sinful and uh, not helpful, not beneficial things uh, and the dead parts of your heart. And he starts to replace them with good and godly and beneficial and life-giving things. Someone who's been in Christ long enough and who's been following him, you, can, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go, I don't know. I used to love doing this stuff and now I, I'm different. I, I don't like that anymore. Now I'm over here doing this. You know what I'm talking about. So, the reality is, this, this circumcision bit, the reality is when you belong to Jesus, uh, you identify with him, you are part of his kingdom, uh, you are in his family, and you are under his authority. He is central. That's what this is saying. In verse 12, there's another identifying marker here. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when we come to a saving faith in Christ, we get baptized. And I don't know about you, I love when people get baptized. It's a party, we get pumped up, it's great. Um, and it's also very symbolic. 
Okay, baptism is not only just, uh, they say, an outward expression of an inward conviction. That means like, I know that God has done something in here. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's given me the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but you uh, get baptized as a sign of that, right? But it's not only that. It's very symbolic, and it's symbolic of Christ. So if you look in this verse here, uh, it says buried with him in baptism. So when we baptize somebody, at least the way we do it, right? We lower them into the water and we hold them there for a minute or two to make sure it takes. Thank you. Just kidding, we don't. We bring them back up out of the water. Well, buried with him, it says in this verse, like Jesus was buried in the ground, we are buried in the waters of baptism. And then it says raised with him. So we come up out of the water just like Jesus came up out of the grave. And again, all of it is brought about by, look at the bottom, faith, through faith in the powerful working of God. It's through faith that Jesus is Lord. It's faith that in him you have been saved, you have been set free from your sins, and they no longer define you. It's faith that the old you is gone and the new you has come. It's faith that God has done a work in your heart and in your life. It's faith that God is able to keep your salvation perfectly safe in his hand. It is faith that belonging to Jesus is a life-changing and eternity-altering reality. That's what's going on. So in all of this section, okay, what am I saying? I'm saying that Christ is sufficient. I'm saying that Christ is enough. He is more than enough for us. He is all we really need. So even these mentions, like I said, of circumcision and baptism, uh, these are big arrows that are pointing to the sufficiency of Christ, uh, that, that we should identify with him and believe in him and belong to him and be centered around him. If we have Jesus we have everything that we need. We have everything we need for life and godliness and flourishing and to be able to stay strong. If we don't have Jesus, we really don't have anything. So if you don't know Jesus, I know all you guys do, but uh, if anyone's watching this later and you don't know Jesus, uh, that's what he wants for you. So the fourth thing we're gonna look at, talking about staying strong while staying the course, uh, it's to remember that the battle is already won. So let's look at the last few verses of our text here, 13 through 15. It says, And you, you who were dead in your trespasses, or trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is ultimately why we are able to stay strong and confident in this life. It's because Jesus has already won the decisive battle at the cross. Somebody help me today. So verse 13 says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Those of us who are Christians, that used to be our lot. That used to be us. You used to be dead in your sins. You used to be without hope. You used to operate from the uncircumcision of your flesh, the hardness of your heart. You used to be constantly marked by your trespasses. But, look at that. God has made us alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses. If you are a believer in Jesus, that applies to you. If you belong to Jesus, God says you are not dead, but alive. God says you are forgiven. 
God says your trespasses don't count against you. That's right in scripture, right there. God says that you and, and he can be together. God says that uh, he has undoubtedly done this work in your heart. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, no exceptions, no fine print. If you are a Christian, that is who you are. That is the reality in which you live. And I hope you're thankful for that today. He's done this, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Here's what you need to know. You owed a debt to God. You owed a debt to God. And with God, when you owe him a debt, it always gets paid for. He doesn't like lose the receipt or whatever. His accounts always get settled. And the way it works is the debt that we owed to God is our very life. All of us, every single one of us. It says the wages of sin is death. That's what we owe God for the sin in our lives. And that's the only way. Death is the only way that your, your, your debt gets paid off. It's not by trying harder. It's not by being religious. It's not certainly a money thing. We pay for it with our lives. So you basically, we have two choices, right? We can either choose to pay that debt ourselves, and some people regrettably do that, you say, I'm not going to let Jesus pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. And you die, and to hell you go, and there is condemnation and wrath. That's the reality. Or the other choice, the better choice, is that you can let Jesus pick up your tab. His death on the cross made sufficient, complete payment for sin. It didn't just cover most of it. It covered all of it. The whole world's tab was paid and so now it's our job to accept it and to walk in that, right? So picture this with me. We'll just do, go on a little journey together. Say we went out for lunch after church here. We went down to Pizza Delight and we had the after church lunch buffet, which maybe they aren't even doing during COVID. They might not be having that, but just imagine. And uh, we walk in there, we have a great time. Somebody eats only the dessert pizza and that's not healthy for you, but neither is the other stuff, so it's probably balanced out. At the end of your meal, you say, I gotta leave. So you go up and, and you go to the front counter to get your, your bill. And the lady or the man behind the thing says, actually, you're good. Somebody came in a minute ago and paid for that. I don't know if I'm the only one. I'd be pretty pumped up about that. And uh, you could sit there and argue and say, no, I insist on paying my bill, which would be foolish. Or you could be happy about it, and you could walk out of there and give thanks for that and let it affect your life for at least the rest of the day and say, that's amazing. I can't believe someone would do that for me. Jesus has done that for you. Jesus took your debt, he took your baggage, he took your sin, he took your past, he took your trespasses, and he what? He nailed them to the cross. And if it's nailed to the cross, that means it's dead that means it's silenced. That means it's powerless. It's done. It's canceled. It's set aside. That's our reality. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When someone is disarmed, it means that they used to have weapons or things that could hurt you and maybe cause you pain or even kill you. But they don't anymore. 
And in this case, it's, it says the rulers and authorities. That's the demonic, the, the satanic sort of rulers and authorities and forces we talked about. It's Satan and his cohort. They have their tactics and their tools and their weapons and the things they come against you with. We've all seen it. It's stuff like accusation and temptation and oppression or, or trying to get you to get out of God's will and be contrary to God. Jesus has disarmed all of them. If you are a Christian, that means that they are sharks without teeth. It means that they are soldiers without weapons. It means that they are judges without any jurisdiction. And the only way they have any power over us is when we hand it over to them. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, if you believe the scriptures, it says he has put them to open shame and he has triumphed over them. He has achieved total and decisive victory. And because he has done this, because Jesus is alive and he has disarmed these opponents, that excuse me, means that we have the capability to live our lives without being dogged by them all the time. That means that we can stay strong while staying the course. We don't have to be bogged down by all that stuff because Jesus has already won the decisive battle. Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger. And when we stick close to him, we can thrive. That's what I'm saying all through this. So that's our text for today. We're gonna start wrapping this up. We'll begin our slow descent. I want to just sum up kind of where we've been because I know it's sort of like this. God wants us to stay strong while staying the course. He wants us to be strong in him, walking with him through our whole lives. And as people who have received Christ, the life we are supposed to live is like I just said, walking in Christ day by day, moment by moment. When we walk in Christ and with Christ and for Christ, we flourish. However, there are powers at work that seek to lead us astray, take us captive. Satan and his minions would love for us to take our eye off the prize. And to, so he tries to get us focused on other things or convinced there's a better way than what we've learned and been taught, a better way than Jesus. But ultimately, he is full of baloney. It's imperative in all this, since we know that's a thing that goes on, it's imperative that we intentionally, continually keep our eyes on Jesus. He is all we need. We don't have to look anywhere else. And we are fully assured of this reality because we can look to the cross and see the victory that he's won. So that's where we've been, and here's what the Lord kind of put on my heart this week, or I will assume it's the Lord. With all of this in mind, and don't answer out loud, I just have to ask you, why do we sometimes settle for less? We are directly told, it's silent in the room, we are directly told in scripture what's good for us and, and, and still we get into seasons in life where we say no, or this is what we do in practice, we say no, I think this is what's good for me, I think this is what I wanna do. How have we convinced ourselves that we should look somewhere other than Christ. We, we are people who have tasted and seen that he is good, and yet we convince ourselves that we should look somewhere else for our meaning and our purpose and our satisfaction and our joy and our identity. Why, why have we convinced ourselves that, you know, just a little bit of Jesus here and there is good enough or enough or, or that's all we need or want? How have we come to the place in the body of Christ where we just go through the motions sometimes or we grow cold or, or indifferent or apathetic or we're just content to maybe just give Jesus a little nod once in a while? Like, yeah, okay, I'll come to church occasionally. I'll read my Bible. Actually, I probably won't. I'll pray if I'm desperate. 
We view the Lord sometimes like he is like an accessory to us. Like, I'm going to live the life I'm going to live. And if I just could like reach into the sugar bowl and have a pinch of Jesus, that'll make my life a little more flavorful. That's, that's not the right heart, guys. Don't we get it? Don't we see it? What Jesus is actually offering to us is abundant life. And yes, it's abundant life for eternity, but he's offering us abundant life in the here and now. What I don't mean by that is, hey, if you walk with Jesus, you'll never get sick, you'll never struggle, you'll make lots of money. No. No. But he has given us everything we need. Honestly, I've used this word a lot today, but to flourish in our life in him, to stay strong in him, to walk the path that God wants us to walk. It's completely possible for us. And it kills me to think, and I'm talking to myself too, I'm not just like yelling at you. It kills me to think that sometimes we settle for less. It kills me to think we're wasting or squandering the gift that he's given us of his presence and his spirit and his strength. It, it kills me to think that we spend our time focused on lesser things or lesser worries, or we get caught up in other things and forget all about Christ. Jesus has given us everything we need to be fully alive right now in this moment, to fully experience his presence and his peace and his joy and his strength and to be fully confident in his promises and fully, fully growing in him and full of joy and peace and full of worship and thanksgiving and full of life and vitality and gusto and excitement and energy. And we sometimes we shrug it off like it's nothing. The image I got of this this week was how foolish it would be if you were like a marathon runner, Boston Marathon, Marathon by the Sea, I don't know, whatever, and you showed up to the race and you ran really hard and really fast for like 10 minutes and then said, I'm going to walk the rest of the way, right? That is rubbish. You wouldn't say, oh, well, I, my goal was only to get into the race. Uh, I didn't really want to finish it. I just wanted to be in it. That's crazy. That's crazy. So it is in our faith, right? Like, it's not just, well, I got saved, now I'm good, I don't want to do anything else, guys. There's a race to be run, there's a life to be lived. There's a plan and a purpose that God has for your life. And, and I know for myself, I don't want to, when my life is over, I don't want to stand before God and him look at me and say, well, Braden, um, your name is on the list, so I guess you can come in, but there's not really much here, you didn't really try very hard or seek me very much or you just kind of stumbled through life or hobbled through it or limped through it but uh, I want him to look at me and I want him to look at you and say well done good and faithful servant that's what I want to hear and that's what I want him to say to you so what I'm just saying and I'm saying this to encourage you not to shame you or condemn you or, or crab at you or whatever life is happening right now and God is on his throne, even in spite of the craziness of the world. And if we would press in and seek him and walk with him and, and live for him and worship him, we could be strong like we've never been strong before. Every passing moment is an opportunity to do this. Every tick of the clock is a chance to step in and press in. Every minuscule second is an opportunity to enjoy the presence and the peace and the power of Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I, I would just say this, if you're hearing this and you're not really walking with Jesus much, I, I love you, I love being your pastor, it's an honor, but I just want to encourage you by saying this, there is more to life than what you are living. There's more. 
And I, I hope that this will be an encouragement to you to seek the Lord and to press in and to walk with him. Jesus is calling. He wants that for you today. And if you need help with that or you want to know more about that, uh, you can come and talk to me after the service is done. If you're an online person, you can get a hold of the church uh, on our website or, or Facebook or whatever. But that's the invitation, and that's what Jesus is calling us to today, to walk with him, to stay strong in him while staying the course. I want to pray for us, so let's bow our heads and let's go to the Lord together.